The Wellness Prescription with Dr. Claudia on 105.9 The Region. Welcome to The Wellness Prescription with Dr. Claudia. I'm Station Manager Tina Cortez, and my co-host from her home studio is Dr. Claudia McKella. Good morning, Claudia, and we have a great story to start our show today, don't we? Yes, good morning, Tina, and thank you to you. Last July, a family made the decision to backpack around the world with their three children, and then COVID happened. They have just returned to Canada to tell us the story, and uh, joining us today is Joseph Cheney. Welcome to the show, Joe. Hi, thanks. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Uh, we're doing okay. We're uh, adjusting still, but doing okay. Awesome. Are you glad to be back in Canada? Oh, very glad to be back. There, there's no place like home. That's awesome. <laughs> Absolutely not. So take us back to July 2019 and where this idea came from. Well, the idea came a few years before. Uh, my wife and I uh, got married in... In uh, 2006, and we traveled to China and Thailand and said, you know, we, we really like this traveling thing. Let's keep going. And then a few years later, uh, while pregnant with my oldest son, uh, we went backpacking through Nicaragua and Costa Rica and said, you know what? One day when uh, we have kids, why will we have kids? We want to do this again. And uh, lo and behold, several years later, we've got uh, three kids and we go backpacking for a year. It was, uh, it, it, was, it was a long process to get there, but it was a fun process. And so, I mean, you've been married since 2006 and you have three kids. So what about your jobs? What about kids in school? How did that all work out? <laughs> Well, I'm a teacher, so I, uh, I took what's called a deferred salary leave. Uh, so over the last five years, well, the first four years, uh, I was getting a reduced salary. So four years pay over five years. So the fifth year, uh, I still received my, uh, my reduced salary. In the end, we lost a year's pay, but at the same time, it was, uh, it was well worth it. Uh, my wife's a nurse at Princess Margaret Hospital. She works uh, uh, she she works a reduced scheduled shift, but uh, they granted her a year leave of, leave of absence. So we were both lucky enough to be returning to our jobs when it was all done. So last July, how old were the kids? Uh, my oldest was ten, and the twins were eight. And so, where did your travels take you? Where did you start, and where did you end up? Uh, so our first stop was uh, uh, Mexico, Tulum, Mexico, uh, and uh, we went from uh, we went through Mexico to uh, Belize, and then worked our way through Central America. We didn't do Panama; flew over Panama to Colombia, Peru, um, Chile, then flew to New Zealand, Australia. Oh my. Uh, Indonesia, Malaysia, Laos, Thailand, and that's, uh, I know I'm missing something in there, but yeah, we ended up with 17 different countries. And so your final, like the, the place you were at most recently, you said was um, Thailand? Thailand. We were in Phuket, Thailand, right. which we were never scheduled to go. We never planned on going there, uh, but when uh, all this COVID stuff started happening, that's uh, we, we were supposed to go to Vietnam, uh, 
that's in middle of March. I would I want to say about March 12th or 13th, and the border closed to all uh, non-Vietnamese citizens. So uh, we are, we already had our plane ticket for there, and then we we were like, okay, what are we going to do? Are we going to come home or are we going to find somewhere safe? And home was 30 hours away uh, at best. So we thought, you know what, Phuket's, Phuket's a good place to go. And so we ended up there. And while you were there, did you feel the effects of the pandemic? Was the situation there as you probably heard it was here? Uh, well, it was... It was the, I don't want to say the beginning, I guess it was the middle of it. Um, when we landed uh, in Phuket, it, they were having about uh, 180 to 200 new transmissions a day. Um, by the time we left, it was, uh, we, we left with uh, thir uh, 39 straight days of no new transmissions. Uh, so when we got there, we were kind of in the middle of it. Uh, there was uh, a no mask order, uh, sorry, put your mask on order as soon as we got there. Like we couldn't go through the airport without having a mask. Um, everywhere you go, if you tried to go in without a mask, they'd just kick you out and say put, on ma put a mask on and refuse to serve you. How did your children handle this kind of, first of all, the idea of traveling for a year and then kind of being taken off course and being um, in Phuket for such a long time? Well, uh, like I said before, we knew we were going to do this for a few years. Uh, so when I signed up for the deferred salary leave, that's when I started talking to them about it. Um, five years heads up and kept talking, you know, we're going to be doing this, we're going to be doing this. They wanted a dog. No, we can't get a dog. It wouldn't be fair. Uh, so, you know, put things off like that. And uh, we kept, we did other things. Uh, we did a lot of camping. We've uh, did, uh, hosted some couch, surfing, couch surfers here at the house, so they introduced other people from around the world to them. And uh, they, at first, you know, they, were, they weren't sure what was happening, <laughs> but they weren't scared. Uh, so, and then uh, when we get to Phuket and we're stuck inside for a month, like we could go shopping, but there was... Everything was closed. You couldn't go to the beach. You couldn't do anything. Um, they, were, they stayed inside the house for a month, and not once during that month did they ask to go outside. We had, tried, we had done so much by that point. They just wanted to relax and watch some Netflix and play computer games and that kind of thing. Typical children, right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. And, and so... What would you say it was the best part of this experience? And then I'm going to obviously ask you what was the most difficult part or situation. Uh, you know, the whole idea of it with, uh, with taking the kids was for them to learn about the world and see that, you know, we're lucky to be in Canada, in Toronto, great city, great country, um, and we have so much uh, we've got running water, we've got, you know, it sounds silly, but, you know, you can flush the toilet down, uh, you can flush paper down the toilet, whereas most countries you can't do that, like the infrastructure is not there. You go, uh, you're talking to people and they can't afford 
all the things that you can afford. And so you got to be grateful for what you've got. And that's probably the best thing that happened out of that. They've gotten a more, they're not in the quest for stuff as much as they were. Um, they're, they're more about, you know, uh, other people and thinking about other people and do I really need something? And uh, it, it's important, that kind of thing. Um, as for the difficult situation, uh, we didn't really have really difficult situations. Um, I did have my phone pickpocketed from me in uh, Bogota, Colombia, uh, which is probably the worst thing that happened to us. And uh, the whole story is uh, we were walking down uh, the street. It was a real busy street. Um, I, I was silly. I take full blame on this. So I put the phone in my pocket and somebody spit on the back of my neck. I went to uh, touch the back of my neck. They took my phone. I realized two minutes later and all gone. And I kept my stories and I told my wife the same thing. You know, if they told me they were going to spit on me, I would have happily given them my phone. Yeah. You know, and that was the worst of it. There was uh, traveling with children in all these different countries really opens my eyes to the generosity of people. Everybody's super generous. Well, not everybody, but the majority of people are super generous, super happy to see uh, parents with kids coming. And it's a total different experience than traveling as a couple or a, a single person. It sounds like your children learned so much uh, about gratitude, and that is often the focus of this show. So it sounds like mission accomplished for sure. Would you do it again? Oh, in a heartbeat. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> if, if, if we could afford it, we wouldn't have come back. We would have kept going as far as we can get to. It, uh, I would do it again, and I, no questions asked. And I'm sure your kids feel the same way. Um, they probably just got the travel bug, and it just, they're just going to keep going with it, I'm sure. Well, you know, with them, they, they do. Two of the, two of the three said, you know, we could have gone another six, eight months traveling. And then uh, one of the twins, Mateo, was like, no, I want to go home. I want to see my friends. <laughs> so, you know, a couple of wins, but it's still good, you know. They really enjoyed themselves, which was, and they've made friends all around the world now. It's, this is such an awesome story, and I have the intense feeling that, like, part two or the continuation is going to happen at some point in the near future. But for now, if our listeners want to learn more about the story or, or track, um, track your travels, how can they do that? Uh, the best way would be going, I have a website going. It's not up to date yet because it was really hard to uh, keep everything going, but it's uh, joefromto.com. And you can find uh, all my Twitter information, Instagram, and stuff there. That's terrific, Joe. Welcome home. When we come back, the benefits of cord blood. This is the Wellness Prescription on 105.9 The Region. Stay with us. Have a question for Dr. Claudia? Call us at 416-335-1059. Tweet us at 105.9 The Region or email us info at 1059theregion.com. The Wellness Prescription with Dr. Claudia on 105.9 The Region.
You're listening to 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to The Wellness Prescription. According to Stats Canada, July, August, and September are the most popular months for births in Canada. Perfect time then to educate expecting parents about the benefits of storing cord blood of their newborn babies so it can be used to treat various diseases should the need arise in the future. Dr. Claudia. Exactly, Tina, and July is Cord Blood Awareness Month, and joining us to talk more about medical benefits of storing cord blood of newborn babies that can successfully treat over 80 diseases and save lives is Dr. Jeff Silverman. He's the medical director of Progenix Cord Blood Cryobank. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Silverman. Let's start with the basics. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. And so what is cord blood? Cord blood is the blood that remains in the umbilical cord at the time of birth. And it's important because it has a very rich supply of the baby's stem cells. And so how long can cord blood be stored and is there a fee to store it? So cord blood can be stored, as far as we know, for at least 15 to 20 years and possibly even longer than that. So even though it's stored when the baby's born, it could potentially be used for that baby or for other people even decades down the road. In terms of the cost, there's two different ways that the cord blood could be stored. It could be stored in a public bank, which is generally free of charge, or it can be stored in a private bank, which you have to pay a upfront one-time collection fee and then a yearly storage fee. The differences between the two is that in a private bank, the uh, stem cells are kept specially for the needs of the person and the family that it's banked for. So it's available to you when you need them, um, as opposed to a public bank that's used for whoever gets to it or whoever wants it first. And in a public bank, the chances of you actually having access to your own cord blood is very, very low. And that's why most people go with storage of the stem cells in a private bank as opposed to a public one. And so you mentioned that the cord blood can be used and stored for, let's say, 15 to 20 years and can be used in the event that somebody needs it, um, the child or a family member. But can that cord blood also be used for a different person? So the cord blood would have to be used by somebody who matches. Um, generally speaking, you know, the babies, of course, going to be a 100% perfect match with their own cord blood, so that's why they're the best recipient. But genetically speaking, you know, it would be family members that are going to be the most closely related. So siblings would be the, uh, the most likely uh, people to benefit from cord blood. In theory, other people, um, you know, less uh, closely related um, parents or uh, children of the donor could theoretically match as well. And so what kinds of diseases can, we, um, can be treated using the cord blood? You know, cord blood has been used to treat nearly 80 different diseases so far. So it's been most commonly used for successful treatment of conditions like leukemia or lymphoma, which are types of blood cancers, as well as other benign but serious conditions like sickle cell disease, thalassemia, also used for treatments of disorders of the immune system. So if babies are born with the inability to make antibodies and stem cells can help replenish and give the bone marrow the capability to do that. 
what's exciting is that there's a lot of research being done at stem cells at the stem cell level now to see if stem cells can be used to treat even other conditions like even COVID-19, autism, Crohn's disease, diabetes. As technology is getting better and better and more advanced, uh, we think that stem cells may have the role in treatment or uh, prevention of some of these conditions as well. And Dr. Silverman, can you tell us a little bit about your work as the medical director of Progenix Cord Blood Bank? Absolutely. So Progenix is, uh, we feel, one of the premier cord blood banks in uh, in our city and in the province. And uh, we process a uh, very large amount of cord blood. One of the things that we need to do is make sure that the mother and the baby are healthy. So donors um, do submit a, a blood sample and we screen it for all sorts of infectious diseases so that we make sure that the cord blood is going to be as healthy as possible. My job is to make sure that everything is being looked after for, um, from a medical point of view to optimize the uh, success in the cord blood and make sure that uh, we can uh, extract the cord blood as healthy as possible, make sure that there's no issues identified with the mother, and make sure that when the cord blood is going to be needed, or if it's going to be needed one day, then that cord blood is going to be as pure and healthy as possible. So can you share with us, you know, maybe a story or two about a family that has benefited from this? Sure, absolutely. So, um, you know, obviously I I can't give the specific names, but um, there have been um, people that have used cord blood from our facility that has uh, been very uh, successful. So one of the conditions, for example, is something called a neuroblastoma. Um, This is a story that's available on our website. There was a young child that developed a brain tumor. And as as part of the treatment for this, um, what they do is they give um, high doses of, of chemotherapy and or radiation, and that helps treat the tumor. But unfortunately, what sometimes happens is it also affects, in a bad way, the bone marrow. It, it wipes out the good cells in the bone marrow. And so when that happens, the doctors will look for um, a stem cell transplant to try to repopulate the bone marrow to allow the good cells to come back. And that's where uh, the umbilical cord uh, stem cells came in. So fortunately, this family had banked the child's cord blood with us, and we were able to release the unit of cord blood of stem cells to the treating facility, and they were able to infuse it into the child, allow them to have the stem cell transplant, and thereby treating successfully their neuroblastoma. Hmm. So we have lots of stories um, like this where, uh, where, you know, hmm. ch- children do, where children do really well with this uh, intervention. And so, when Dr. Silverman, when would be the time that parents uh, have to make these decisions about storing cord blood? Well, because the cord blood is collected right after birth, then this needs to be decided during delivery or before. So it's recommended that at an early appointment with your midwife or obstetrician that this is discussed. Or alternatively, um, a you know, prospective parent can call a cord blood bank facility directly and set something up so that everything is ready because there has to be a kit that is at the bedside and ready to go when the uh, when the baby is delivered. And so I have a question regarding the difference between cord blood and cord tissue. Is there a difference and is one more commonly stored over the other or do you generally store both? How does that work? 
the cord blood is referring to the actual stem cells, the stem cells being the very primitive blood cells that the body can then use to make red cells and white cells and platelets. So it's the stem cells that repopulate the bone marrow. But more recently, there's been a lot of research looking at cord tissue. And cord tissue is actually a different type of stem cell called mesenchymal stem cells. And these are stem cells that can differentiate or can develop into things like bone cells, fat cells, cartilage cells. And these are things that are more done in what we call regenerative medicine. This is a little bit more experimental. And the uh, science or the technology is being developed um, um, now uh, to try allow the, the, the scientists to take that core tissue and develop it, let's say, into cartilage that somebody may need, let's say, for uh, a knee joint or something like that. That's a little bit more um, cutting edge. So cord blood has been around for longer than cord tissue, and cord blood is more commonly banked than cord tissue, but generally they are done at the same time in the sense that you know, when, you, when, when somebody collects the cord blood, they would then collect the core tissue. In fact, they have to be done at that same time. The core tissue is when you take a small piece of the umbilical cord itself. And so there are two separate types of banking, but they're done as of one. And you know, institutions that bank the core blood will generally bank the core tissue as well if you give them permission to do so. And so, I mean, I have a son who is going to be 14, and, you know, cord blood um, banking it was popular then. I'm wondering if in the last, let's say, 15 years, has it really gained in popularity? Have you noticed more parents wanting to store the cord blood? I think it is becoming more and more popular. Um, is one of the reasons is that there's just so much research out there looking at stem cells for all sorts of different things as we're saying before, you know, it's not only just the cancers, but it's also more benign conditions and even things that you wouldn't think about using stem cells for, like diabetes. So as word gets out there, that stem cells have all these potential uses, and as this is becoming more commonplace, then I think what we're finding is that more and more people are showing an interest in doing cord blood, and certainly the amount of units collected of stem cells from the umbilical cord worldwide is growing uh, year after year after year. And Dr. Silverman, one last question. If it's not used, you know, whether for treatment or because it's not effective, is it then discarded? So if you bank your cord blood with a private company, that's your cord blood. And what will happen is after as a prearranged time, however you arrange it with the bank, you'll get a letter saying, you know, what would you like us to do with this cord blood? So you can continue to bank it and to bank it. And, you know, I, I've done cord blood banking with my kids, and so that's what we're doing. We're just continuing to keep it frozen. Um, but the choice would be yours, and if at some point you decide, you know what, I don't think we need this anymore, then it would be uh, destroyed um, as, if, as if your personal property. Very, very interesting, and mm -hmm. I love the idea that we can use uh, cord blood for prevention and, um, you know, keep families healthy in the event that you, you know, may need it. If our listeners want to know more about uh, uh, progenics and the process involved in storing cord blood, how can they do that? So you, the best way to do it would be to go to our website. It's very simple. It's www.progenics, which is P-R-O, G-E-N-I-C-S dot C-A. 
and you'll get all the information you need there as well as a phone number if you want to call and speak to somebody. We're very happy to uh, help out. That's terrific. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Silverman. And Dr. Claudia, please remind our listeners how to connect with you. You can find me on Instagram at Claudia underscore Machiella or at my website, thecenterforhealth.ca. That's our show for this week. If you want to catch up on previous broadcasts of The Wellness Prescription, go to our website, 1059theregion.com. Thanks for listening. Connect with us on Twitter at 1059theregion or call 416-335-1059 or email info at 1059theregion.com. This is 1059 The Region.